Hi there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy Podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. And now, here's this week's guest. Today on the Live Healthy Podcast, we have Maria Abihana, founder and licensed dietitian um, of Nutrition Untold. And she is here to talk about something very close to my heart, uh, which is the no diet life. Welcome, Maria. <laughs> Hi, thank you for having me. How are you? Really, really good. I should say you're based in Dubai, talking to me from Dubai. Yes. So like, just a general question off the bat for you and what you do, what is the no diet life? I think, I mean, the no diet is, life is number one, rejecting the diet mentality. For me, I, I think I've seen so many people in the last 10 years of me being a dietitian struggling with, with their weight and being on and off dieting. And I've also seen how detrimental the effects of dieting can be on a person's physical metabolism, health, and as well as most importantly, their mental well-being. So I don't believe in diets, but I also obviously don't believe in, you know, eating anything and everything you want. Um, if I want to summarize it, the no diet life is sort of um, eat, giving yourself that unconditional permission to eat, but at the same time, honoring your health and listening to your body. So your hunger levels and your fullness cues at the same time. Okay, so if someone comes to you, they're overweight, they're frustrated, they've been through it all. What's the sort of what? Just walk me through a couple of things that you do with them that will they'll find different. So, I mean, we do a lot of interesting things. That's not your typical uh, dietitian session. So, the first thing we actually do, which I find a very interesting exercise, is we go through something called the life and weight line, where I ask people to walk me through their journey from as young as the age of one year old up to however old they are. And we, we sort of plot on a graph uh, the ups and downs of their weight and we link them to life events. Because the minute you start doing that, you start realizing how your ups or whenever you used to gain weight is related to a big life event that happened. In a lot of cases, it could be, you know, changing jobs, moving countries, a death in the family, uh, uh, milestones in life. And you realize that a lot of the weight gains happen because of a lot of emotional things that happened in life. And I think when you start to put it up there and you sort of see how your weight fluctuates, you also start to understand your behavior with food. Um, and then we go through, you know, uh, bigger questions of why you eat, how you eat. And you also link it back to their childhood. Like I have clients who eat very, very quickly and they realize, you know, they used to eat quickly because their parents ate too quickly or because uh, the way they were fed in, in the house was, uh, you know, you only ate at a certain time. So you needed to eat the, uh, as much as you can because, you know, you, need, you have to stay full to your next meal. A lot of our behaviors are linked to what we've learned in our childhood days. So 
So usually that's sort of how my sessions start. Um, uh, the second thing is, you know, I, I really focus on setting behavioral goals. Uh, the weight for me is always my secondary goal. It's, I know a lot of people want to lose weight and, and it's a natural thing for people to want to lose weight, right? So uh, obviously this will happen, but it can never be your main goal because when you focus just on the weight, everything else, whether it's the behavioral goals, the lifestyle goals, you're not going to end up doing. And I know it might take a bit longer, but, you know, really giving people that uh, permission to eat or that food freedom, I think is, is the most important thing. And everyone knows that for me, my first goal is fixing that relationship with food initially. And then we look at the weight as our secondary goal, even though it happens in parallel, it's just not something we talk about. Uh, um, which I think a lot of clients actually enjoy. They're like, you don't care about my weight. I don't need to get, get on the scale every week. And, and it gives them that like, okay, great. Like, you know, it, that la pre the pressure is off from, you know, getting on the scale and seeing the weight drop two, three, four kilos. And then what if it's stuck, but, and then you get demotivated. So, uh, my sessions really like go more into the psychology of eating more than anything else. Um, and then sort of we take it from there. Like the premise is that you're overweight and it nine times out of 10 has something to do with your emotions and the way you process yeah. emotions okay. or not yeah. process, the way you don't process your emotions. It has to do with that. And it also has to do with, uh, you know, uh, because you've been dieting all your life, you've probably messed up your metabolism. With every diet, you, you slow down your metabolism a bit more. And then the other thing is, because dieting puts so many rules on you, you know, you need to eat because it's one o'clock and it's time for lunch. You need to be on 1,200 calories a day. You lose touch with your hunger and your fullness cues. And, and a lot of people always are so surprised when I ask them, do you know where you feel hunger in your body? And a lot of times, you know, it, they stop and think they're like, I'm not sure where I feel hunger. Mm. Um, do you know when you're full? And they're like, I never thought about it. I'm like, when do you stop eating? Do you stop because, you know, the, they delivered this food to your house and the portion is done? Or do you stop because you're full? And that's when they start realizing, you know, maybe they can stop at 70% of the plate not just because it's on the table and you know we're all wired to finish everything on our plate but is that really the right portion for us so we go through all these questions and obviously like it takes a bit of time but it's i think the first process is sort of awareness of what we're eating why we're eating how we're eating because i feel it's on autopilot because of rules because everyone told us you know we need to eat five meals a day even though research now says you know, funny enough, uh, uh, the whole snacking uh, is not always the right thing to do. Not for everyone, at least. I mean, for some people it is, but other people are much happier with longer lags of between a meal and another. So it's also recognizing what works for you and not, not just what works for everyone else. Okay. So you agree that there's like an individual sort of approach for people because you do still hear... You know, I, I have a boxing class once a week and my coach just said to me, I said, I lost weight last week and I didn't do anything except relax and eat more. And he said, well, to lose weight, you really need to write down your calories. And I thought, well, I just told you that I lost weight. Um, and I didn't write. And that's, so you hear a lot of calories, calories, though, yeah. 
I just thought it was funny. So um, it's like there is an ind- you know, I'm hearing this more and more. We are different. Like all of us are different. Is that the way you approach it? We're yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and this is where, you know, looking at the person's lifestyle and their food habits. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of us know what works for us because we've done so many different trials and errors and, and sort of we try to figure it out. So when, when I work with someone, I mean, I have clients who are eating five, six times a day. I have clients who tell me, no, they'd rather eat two meals a day with one snack in between. And, and that, that's what works with them. I, I have people who are more prone to vegetarian plans and they'd rather do that. And other people who tell me, no, they really need more protein and less carbs. So the idea of one, one diet works for everyone really doesn't work at all. Some people also get hungrier more towards the night and it's okay to actually eat a bit more. Like if, if dinner is important to you, it's the worst thing is to tell a person, no, have a lighter dinner. But for other people, breakfast is much more important for them. So it really, really, really is, has to be very individualized. And there's a lot, of, a lot more research now talking about personalized nutrition. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard about eating according to your genes and your genetic makeup. And, and you realize a lot of the way we eat or whether we prefer sweet over sour or whether we need to eat five meals over three meals is, is also has to do with our genetic makeup and our DNA. So um, I think it's, it's very interesting, the new research on nutrition and how personalized things need to be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, knowing your body is, is the first, first most important thing and knowing what works for you. Um, it's not really just turning what, it on its head, though. Sorry, it's just really turning sorry. its head because, you know, at times in my life when I've gained weight, because I've, you know, I've always had a tendency to gain weight. And to go and tell, I, I can't tell you how many times I would go and say, well, I actually don't really like to eat that way. And they'd be like, well, you have to change. And then you'd feel shame, real actual shame, because someone just told, like, you know, in your heart, what does work, but they're basically saying, well, you're sitting in front of me and you're overweight. So you obviously don't know what you're talking about. It feels like there's underneath this, it feels like there's sort of a deep sort of acceptance on your part to say like, you do kind of know your body. We're just going to work with what you know. And that's, it's really touching to me. It's like emotional. It is. And I think that's what a lot of people like. And I always tell people like, I'm there to just ask questions, but eventually they all, and it's so interesting. Everyone comes up with their answers on their own. Like it's, it's not that I'm there to, to, to tell you what to do, but the answers all end up, they're like, Oh, and this is what worked. Oh, this is. And then it's really just giving people that, I guess, confidence to really trust their bodies again, because again, uh, I think, I mean, I've personally, my counseling has evolved so much because university days, you're talking 10 years ago, what we were taught was it's five meals a day to speed up your metabolism. It's 1,200, you create that calorie deficit. It's, it's been so rigid and so structured that I, I don't blame, I mean, it's, it's how, how nutrition was years ago, but it's in evolving into a totally different thing. And I think it's in the right direction because if dieting the way we knew it was working, we, a lot of us wouldn't be where we're at. And, and research is showing that 95% of diets fail specifically because it puts you in that restriction deprivation mode where you're only going to end up binging at some point and then you're going to end up feeling guilty about it and it's a vicious cycle. 
Um, so if you have a tendency to binge, but you're trying to shift to observing your own hunger cues and saying, how do you give a person like that permission to eat, but not go crazy? Like, how does that work? So it's, it's a, it's a very long, it's a, it's a process, right? So, I mean, uh, the first thing we, we sort of need to do is, is we work with the principles of mindful eating because a lot of people who binge tend to eat quickly. So, so it's really also number one, practicing mindful eating, which is, uh, you know, eating slowly, putting a timer. And, and it's very interesting because ideally your meal should take between 20 to 30 minutes to finish. And most of us eat much quicker than that. So when you start being aware of that or putting your fork down or chewing your food, noticing your food. So there's a lot of practice that goes into mindful eating so that if you are to binge, at least, you know, you're going to binge less as well. The second thing is, 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 normalizing food because i think a lot of us in our mind label certain food as binge food or bad food like pizza or burgers and it's such a big deal and we feel so guilty about it so i actually like so i had a client an example who who told me that there's no way she's gonna be able to have chocolate in her house because if she's gonna have chocolate she's gonna end up eating it all at once so in our sessions, we sort of work on normalizing chocolate in her mind that it becomes equal to something as simple as an apple, for example. When you normalize it and you stop giving it so, such importance or such value, you realize and you know that you can also eat it every day because obviously there's a lot of the binge, the reason why you're binging is because you're depriving yourself and you think you're never going to be able to eat it again. So when I actually told her, you know what, you can eat chocolate every day for every meal, if, if for all I care. And she's like, yeah, are you sure? I was like, yeah, go ahead and eat it just as long as you eat it slowly and enjoy it and don't feel guilty about it. Okay. The chocolate lasted like two weeks. And, 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 and that's sort of, I think, so you really do need to eat mindfully. And my second rule is we need to stop giving food such value of moral value or attaching it to us as and judging ourselves and just really it's it's at the end of the day it's food you know it doesn't make us better or worse person people it's it's food at the end of the day food is not good food is not bad but it's very interesting in these times because you know i talk to a lot of people about nutrition and there you know there's a lot of people who not only are like chips and pop you know soda and uh candy bad but you know people are saying things like nightshades are bad tomatoes and cucumbers like there's people drilling down into nutrition to levels that i i don't know what to do and so how do you sort of deal with that like do you get some of that confusion of people coming to you i i do and i think i mean i think this is why Personally, I like to have a 20 minute chat with a person before, before I start my sessions with them, just for them to also understand what I, what to expect, because for me, and I always tell them like, if, if they're, they're going to, they're not going to expect a diet where I'm going to tell them not to eat anything or, or very traditional thing, because this is not my philosophy, but I think uh, with time when people are, are trying all these like new trends and the fads and whatever they're really like realizing that it's 
I mean, if they're going to remove everything from their diet, what are they going to end up eating at the end of the day? Like there's so many rules and restrictions and every day it's a new food. Like every day there's a new story coming in. So I, I think it's, a lot of people, when they start working with me, eventually they're also convinced that, you know, they've tried it the traditional way and, and it's not working. And, and they really are so tired of also overthinking about food or counting their macros or, or getting weighed daily or, or you know, like, or, or managing portions that, that they are ready to start something else. Um, it takes a bit of convincing, I'm not going to lie, but but I mean, once they start, they realize that the transformation is, is, is really much different than the traditional way. Okay. Now we said we were going to talk about the food police. What are the food police? Yeah. So, <laughs> so the food police is actually pretty interesting because um, a lot of us, you know, tend to judge ourselves as good when we eat a certain amount of calories or when we eat salad for lunch and really bad people when we uh when we have a burger for example and fries for lunch and we end up feeling guilty about it and and one of and and one of the themes in a lot of my sessions is challenge the food police and you know sort of scream a loud no in your heads head when these thoughts arise and and the thoughts are you know i'm a bad person or i ruined my entire diet just because i had you know that one piece of chocolate or so it really has to do with these negative thoughts and the way we speak to ourselves and and that on its own is also i have clients actually screaming no like loudly no out in the open when they when these thoughts come to your their mind because what a lot of people don't realize is, is we're our biggest critiques. We are pretty hard on ourselves when we're not as generally as hard. We, we're in a lot of times not kind to ourselves and our body hears what our mind believes. So it's really also making sure that we change these thoughts and, and we work on sort of reforming them. And, and you know, again, not giving food that moral value or or not attaching not judging ourselves based on what we eat um and i think that's that's generally one of the main uh, steps and also sort of getting to you know giving yourself unconditional permission to eat okay that's hard though because everywhere you look are the food police like i'm constantly seeing you know you just scroll instagram and you've got someone shouting at you about what <laughs> it's true <laughs> but then again, you know, there's a lot of dietitians that are adopting this non-diet approach. So, yeah. so it's worth also, you know, following those people that are just telling you, you know what, it, it doesn't make sense and, you know, stop judging yourself. And if you follow people like you, it does start to change the way you think when you fill your feet up with like the, it's a yeah. sort of a more healthy approach. I mean, the bottom line is exactly. there's a lot of money to be made off of people who are struggling to do yeah. the one thing that they can't do, which is lose weight. There's just people lining up to say, I've got the answer. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a massive industry. Like it's just, yeah. our, it's oh. crazy actually, like from the medical industry, from the food industry, like this whole snacking, eating every three hours, they're saying that the reason why the study was made was just to push, increase the sales of more snacks which is actually i mean snacks never existed if you think about it which is which is interesting <laughs> no my far, my family that was farmers in the 50s you know and 40s they weren't snacking they didn't take a exactly. bag of uh, 
a boiled egg and some carrot yeah. sticks out to the f- field and a coffee, you know, like no one. Exactly. Yeah, and, and certainly our ancestors, it's really funny. And I wouldn't put it past it because I think what a lot of people don't realize about a lot of clinical studies is that sometimes they're paid by, for by industry to exactly how to promote something that they want. Yeah. It's yeah. a confusing world. Um, <laughs> so, so we also said we we're going to talk about the seven types of hunger. Yeah. So actually that's one of my favorite topics and it's one of my favorite session uh, sessions generally with a lot of my clients, because what a lot of people don't realize is there are seven different types of hunger and uh, the only real hunger. And when I ask someone, where do you feel hunger? And a lot of us point in different directions is actually in your upper stomach. And, and when you start noticing and listening to your upper stomach, that's really the only real type of hunger. It's these little tiny growling in the upper stomach. It's not in the middle. It's not at the bottom. It's not anywhere else. It's the upper stomach. So that's the first type of hunger. The second type of hunger is eye hunger. So it's, uh, and I don't know if you relate to it, but it's like when, you know, someone offers you something that looks so good, but you're not really hungry, but you know, it just looks amazing. Or when you scroll through Instagram and you, you look at something that looks amazing, you just order it. So that's eye hunger. The second type of hunger is nose hunger. And, and that's usually, you know, when you pass next to a bakery, you smell the smell of fresh bread. You're usually minding your own business, but suddenly you find yourself in there just ordering bread. So that's nose hunger. The third type of hunger is mouth hunger, which generally happens when, when you're working or when you're watching television and, and your mouth needs something to crunch on. So you just need to move. It it's also has to do a bit more with the stress, a way of relieving stress. So that's mouth hunger. Then you have something called uh, cellular hunger, which is usually um, your cells in your body need something. Um, they're missing nutrients. So a lot of us mistaken thirst for hunger. So if you're really thirsty, you end up uh, eating and, and that's generally not the right thing. Uh, funny enough, if we're low on iron in our body, our body tends to crave uh, uh, red meat usually. So that's generally cellular hunger. So it's it's something missing in our body. We have something else called mind hunger, which which is interesting, which is I should eat because it's breakfast time. I should eat have five meals a day. I should eat because it's one o'clock and someone told me I need to eat at the same time every day. So these are all the rules and, 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 and the, the restrictions that have been put on us. So that's mind hunger. And then the last type of hunger is heart hunger, which is emotional hunger so you know people eat when they're sad when they're lonely when they're angry so in a lot of our sessions we when when a person writes down what they're eating i always ask them to identify what type of hunger is is it and and you start to understand what pattern because every person has you know maybe three out of these seven types of hunger that are a bit more apparent than others and it just depends from person to person um, and then once you start to understand what types of hunger you mainly like sort of relate to, it's a good way to sort of, if there is any emotional eating, work through that. If we, are we eating because we're stomach hungry? Or are we eating because it's eye hunger? It just makes you think a bit more before you grab, you know, that piece of cake. Um, and the idea is, I mean, with the different types of hunger, 
it's it's okay to eat because it's eye hunger because something looks good it's okay to eat because some days we're feeling more emotional but it's about the balance so ideally what i tell a lot of my clients that 70 percent of your time you should eat because you're stomach hungry and you're feeling it in your upper stomach and 30 percent of your time you can eat because it's these different types of hunger okay okay um you you specialize in eating disorders. So we can talk a little yes. bit about eating disorders, but I'd like to do a, a separate, pod. I'd like to talk yes. to you separately about sure. such a big issue. Sure. One thing we have been hearing is that eating disorders have been really exacerbated by COVID and the um, isolation. Have you, is, are you seeing that? I am, and I think, I mean, it has to do more because I think COVID caused a lot of, you know, mental health problems with a lot of people like, and, and I, a lot of people's eating habits have changed massively during COVID. Um, eating disorders in general, a lot of times happen because it's a way to cope with your emotions. And it's very normal that the reasons why, you know, it got exacerbated was because COVID has been a very stressful time. So, and they do tend to appear in, in the most stressful times. So I have been seeing a lot of that. Uh, whether it's you know binge eating bulimia or 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 anorexia uh, it's a mix of everything um, unfortunately yeah. but I think it's yeah and probably that just translates to a lot of what people have been talking about putting on weight so if you're have an eating disorder and stress is causing you to to have that reappear then if you struggle with binge eating or you know diet issues and on a lesser scale, that's going to come up too, right? Like that's going to, yeah. Yeah. What do you especially? Sorry. sorry. I was just going to say that, especially that a lot of people, I mean, in COVID were on their own, at least in Dubai, a lot of people live on alone. And I think that was, that, that, that must've been very hard for a lot of people. Um, that loneliness or feeling that there's no one there. A lot of people struggled with that, whether they ended up overeating or undereating uh, or abusing food in different ways. It, it was pretty hard on a lot of people. Um, and just to wrap up, what about social media? How should people use social media in this regard? How can they be careful in there? How can they use it for good? So, I mean, I think with social media, the problem is, you know, like there's a lot of people also giving nutrition advice when they're not really qualified. And that I think is the biggest problem. And a lot of people also, you know, think just because they've experienced a transformation that they're able to give other people advice where, again, as we said, what works for one person might not work for another person. Uh, but at the same time, I think with social media, there, there can be a lot of good and a lot of, uh, a lot of positives when it comes to social media, if it is used correctly. Um, what I would say is, you know, follow the right people, follow people who inspire you, follow people who, who you really also do believe in their expertise and their qualification. If you, if you do want to listen to anyone give you, if you do want any nutrition advice, number two, don't believe everything you, you, you see online. Um, a lot of pictures are Photoshopped. There's a lot of new influencers now, which I'm loving that are discussing body image that show you the differences between, uh, you know, what a real picture looks like versus what Photoshop pictures look like. So, so really like, I think you can, 
I mean, and, and the positive thing about social media, it creates a community. So it, it feels like if you do need a bit of a community feel, it's a great, great platform. It's really just knowing, you know, being picky with who you follow, who you surround yourself with and anything that doesn't serve you or you feel like makes you feel bad about yourself, just sort of unfollow that and ignore that. And again, remember like it's, it's not real life, right? So what you see online is, is pretty much like what you see behind the scenes is very different than what you see online. So I'm just guessing what you think of all these transformation photos and videos. <laughs> I mean, for me, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not very pro these transformation videos. And, and again, I feel like we, if you are going to be on social media, you have a responsibility, especially with teenagers. It's the most vulnerable age group. And they have access to all that. You have a responsibility to, to, to especially the teenagers that are following you on social media um, and what you put in their heads. I mean, if, if we go back to eating disorders, uh, we're seeing kids below as young as the age of nine developing eating disorders. And, and I think it has to do a lot with also what, you know, what they're following online on social media and who they're following. Okay, thank you so much, Maria. Be careful out there. We got to be careful out there on social media. You said <laughs> not eat. Okay, thank you so much. I really appreciate anytime. Diet life. Yeah, this is great stuff. It was really nice talking to you. Bye. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.